0: Hey, good morning, students. As always, it's good to be with you again uh, this Lord's Day to open up God's Word and to study the Scriptures together. Uh, Today, we'll be finishing up our study through Paul's letter to the Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six. We're going to read the whole chapter, study the whole thing, because uh, this morning we're going to be talking about gospel conclusions as Paul kind of wraps up the content of his letter and gives some final charges and benedictions. We want to study all of those things together today. Last week as we looked through the end of Galatians chapter 5 we we saw Paul give us really two ways to live, right? We could either uh, work in the flesh or we could cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we studied the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and heard Paul's call to to put away the one so that we might uh, cultivate and flourish in the other. Remember, we talked about mortification, right? Putting our sinful tendencies to death and vivification, right? The idea of of watering and nourishing and and bringing life to those things that are spiritual. So uh, today we're going to, like I said, come to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Galatians and we're going to see him repeat some of the main themes from throughout his letter and emphasize some some main ideas. So a lot of what you're going to hear today is is not new, uh, but it does bear uh, repeating for us this morning. So let's read all of Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and then we'll spend some time studying it together. Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived; God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. God in heaven, we're so thankful that we get to once again gather together um, and open up your word to hear you speak. And Lord, I'm thankful for this summer that we've gotten to spend time in Paul's letter to the Galatians that we've seen over and over again that our salvation really does rest on Christ alone and faith in him alone. and It's your grace alone that gives us eternal life. And so now, Lord, we, we, we ask that you would help us to understand this text, that you would lead us into a spirit-filled, Christ-like living as we think about our own standing before you as an adopted son or daughter of God being sanctified by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we want to give you glory with our whole lives, especially at this time. So we pray, God, that you would focus our minds and hearts even now to receive your truth and be transformed by it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you're taking notes this morning, I want to go ahead and give you kind of the the main idea or like a sermon in a sentence, kind of where we're headed this morning. And that's this. The gospel should change our whole lives for the rest of our lives. Right? I'll say that again. The gospel should change our whole lives for the rest of our lives. So, So what I mean by that is that the gospel and, and Christianity, our faith in Jesus, doesn't just affect part of who we are. It isn't just maybe one aspect of who we are among many other things, right? So you could say, I'm, uh, I play the trumpet and I'm so-and-so's brother and I am also a Christian, right? We, we don't want to compartmentalize or silo off our faith. No, we want the gospel to affect our entire lives, everything about us is affected by the good news of the gospel. Following Christ doesn't just grant us eternal life with God in heaven one day. It actually changes how we live right now. It changes the way we view the world right now. And so today we're gonna hear three very short, very simple gospel conclusions that Paul gives to you and me as he writes to the churches in Galatia. As we finish up this letter today, remember this. Remember that Paul is calling for us to work and to act, not so that we can earn God's favor. Remember, that's the whole story of Galatians, right? No, he's calling, us for, uh, he's calling for us to act and to work because our faith in Christ and his finished work now has brought us into right standing with God. Our works don't do that. Faith in Christ's work does that. But now that we have salvation, now that we've been united to Christ, now that we have been adopted into God's family, now that we have the indwelling spirit of Christ that lives within us, we can now walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So now we're freed up in Christ to work and to act because we already have his favor. We already have his name. We already are citizens of his kingdom. So if you're taking notes, we're going to see first in the first five verses of Galatians chapter 6 that Paul is calling on you and me to love one another. We want to love one another. Now love, as we talked about last week, is a foundational mark of the Christian life, right? It's the first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned there in Galatians chapter 5. And in this text, Paul's going to give us some ways that you and I can love one another well. So we've already read the text but let's look at it again in verse 1. He says, "Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." So the first thing we see here is that you and I to love one another well looks like restoring our brothers and sisters, restoring believers when they sin. So the news flash for us is that all of us sin, all of us commit disobedient acts against God. All of us fall short of God's glory. And when you read that word caught, so in the ESV, it says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, don't think of uh, maybe being caught red-handed. So don't think of somebody being caught in the act, right? This very blatant, explicit, there's no way you can defend yourself. There's no excuse that you can give. You were caught red-handed. That's not what that word caught means. No, uh, that word means Uh, Caught, as in you are stuck. You have been trapped. You are caught in something. uh, One of the scholars that I read, the the language there is almost like uh, having your foot caught and you're underwater and you're drowning. That's the idea here when Paul says that if any of you is caught in sin, it's it's being it's being caught by something that's ensnaring you. It's trapping you. Now Paul says that it's the responsibility of the brothers. So. Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, are responsible to hold their brothers and sisters up when they sin. They ought to go to their brothers struggling with sin and help them not punitively, not harshly, not with an air of superiority, but with gentleness. Look at the text again. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him, the one who's caught in transgression, in a spirit of gentleness. So there are many ways that you and I can respond to sin in the lives of others. If you just think for a second, you can think of people that you know, or maybe your own self and the sins that you have committed or the sins that you know about. There's a a lot of ways that we can handle sin in our midst. And many of them are unbiblical ways. And I'm hoping that as we think through loving one another and restoring one another, we would long for biblical ways to respond to sin. I mean, the first way we can act is we can act with ignorance right? We can just act like it's not there, that this person is, is kind of in this unrepentant sin that kind of everybody knows about, but we're not really going to talk about it. So we can just, we can, act, we can act ignorant. We can act like it isn't there. Or maybe we gossip, right? Maybe because everybody knows it's there, we're going to talk about it behind that person's back, but we're not really going to confront them about their sin because, well, that's risky and, and hard and, and messy. And we'll, we don't feel responsible to do that, but we'll definitely talk about it behind their back. So we can handle sin with ignorance or with gossip, maybe even condemnation, right? Maybe after that gossip session happens, you do feel compelled to, to confront that person, but instead of re- restoration, you come to them with condemnation. You, you judge them and, and heap guilt on them because of their sin. But Paul doesn't say to respond in any of those ways. Students, you and I are going to be caught up in sin in this life, we struggle with different sins all the time. We talked about this last week with the works of the flesh. And, and Paul is saying here that part of what it means to be in the body of Christ, part of what it means to be a, a person who loves the gospel, is to lovingly and to gently restore those in your midst who are caught in sin. So we don't want to respond with ignorance, we don't want to respond with gossip, we don't want to respond with condemnation. We want to respond with a spirit of gentleness that brings restoration to those who are caught in their sin. Now, this is difficult. It's messy. It's risky, right? Because you have to be vulnerable to confront someone on their sin and they might not respond well, but that is the call that Paul has given us and the spirit of God has given us through Paul here in this text. But not only restoration. I mean, restoration is one aspect of how we ought to love one another, but there's another way we do this. We, not just with gentleness, um, but we need to remember that that gentleness is, is not just like a, it's not something that you have within yourself. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Remember last week we were learning about all those fruit of the Spirit. One of them is, is gentleness. So we would restore our brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness. Now look what it says further. Paul says in verse 1, he says, Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Students, all of us, like we said before, all of us are tempted with certain sins. And it may be easy for us to feel like we will never fail, we will never fall, and so we can be the ones to always help another person. We are liable to fall into sin as well. All of us will need to be restored in some way. So we should be willing to restore others. Paul continues in verse 2 with another way we can love one another, not just to restore those caught in sins, but also to bear one another's burdens. He says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what does it mean to bear burdens? Well, if, if verse 1 is dealing with uh, brothers and sisters who have committed sin, Uh, Verse two is dealing with brothers and sisters who are suffering the effects of sin. Maybe they've been sinned against, or maybe they're sick, or maybe they're being persecuted. Maybe they have a financial burden that they cannot bear on their own. So Paul is saying that you and I are to gather together with those whom we love and bear one another's burdens. That we should rally around one another to share the load that they feel. The fact is, not one of us is supposed to live out the Christian life by ourselves. We're called to be a part of the family of God. And here's what's amazing. You think about um, bearing one another's burdens as the body of Christ. You thinking about your peers, those who are around you in grade, or maybe a part of the youth ministry, or maybe uh, families with other families. Think, Think about it like this. The Spirit of God who regenerated us. He gave us new hearts. He gave us the gift of Faith, the one that unites us to the body of Christ, also gives us gifts that you and I can then exercise or use for the good of that body. So your spiritual gifts are given to you, not for your own sake, but for the good of others. That's what Paul gets at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says that all of these gifts are given for the common good or for the good of the church. So you may love to pray and you realize that there is a person in your midst who's really struggling, maybe they're suffering from some kind of depression, Uh, maybe they're just frustrated at the things that are going on in their life, you have an opportunity there to use that gift and pray for them right then and there, to ask the Lord to bring healing to their soul. Or or maybe one day when you get a little bit older, maybe you have a, a job that provides you with a lot of income, and you are just financially generous, you've been given the spirit of generosity, and and you don't need a lot of money for that. You could do that as a student now, but maybe somebody around you has a, f- a financial need and you have the opportunity and the means to meet that need. Well, you can use that gift that the spirit has given you of generosity to meet the needs and bear the burdens of the ones that you love. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement or or some other gift. I think you see the point. In in seeing And knowing the needs and burdens of your brothers and sisters, you have an opportunity to love them by using your gifts. But that begs the question, do we know our brothers and sisters' burdens? So do you know of the people in your grade or the people in your small group or the people who are in your uh, table group that usually meets on Sundays, do you know what they're wrestling with? Do you know the problems that are going on in their life? And maybe the reason why nobody's sharing their problems is because no one else is willing to share their problems. So the the other question is, have you shared your needs? Have you let those around you know how they can pray for you or encourage you or help help you meet your needs? Are you willing to let other people bear those burdens with you? Because pride comes one of two ways, right? Pride comes either in not asking for any help or only helping others and and never receiving that help yourself. Saying, well, I don't don't need help. So either not helping others or not receiving help is both both the the product of pride. And we want to root that out from among us. Well, verse three confirms what we already know. Uh, And that's what we were just talking about. Look at verse three. He says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Students, we all need help. We all fall short. We all have burdens to bear. None of us are above helping others or asking for help. That's what the body does. Now, if verses one through three are talking about the, the corporate aspect of the Christian life, how we love one another. Then verses four and five kind of remind us that, that standing before God is not a corporate event. Okay, so so you're a part of a, of a wonderful church, a church that doesn't get everything right, but, but loves Christ, loves the gospel, loves the Great Commission, And you think, man, I'm a part of a really healthy church that loves the gospel. We're making uh, disciples. We're sending out missionaries. We're baptizing new believers. This is amazing. And then one day you'll stand before God and you will give an account, not for Lakeview. You won't give an account for this body of believers. You'll give an account for you. You'll stand before the Lord and bear your own works. So it's not as though you can say, well, all of these things were done to me or all of these things happened for me or I was encouraged in these ways. You and I will stand before God of the judgment and give an account for our own lives. The fact is, students, we can be in the eyes of the world good and kind and moral and helpful and do a lot of good things and still not trust Christ and still stand before God condemned. Condemned. So don't place your hope in the things that you're doing. Don't place your hope in in loving one another well. That's not where your hope lies. Your hope lies in the finished work of Christ. We're not going to point to the good that we've done for others as, as a kind of currency that buys our way into heaven. And I'm not going to be able to point to your works, the things that you do, and claim them as my own. No, I will, by God's grace, present a life that was lived by the power of the spirit under his lordship, under his leadership. And my prayer is that that's what you would do as well, that you would be able to stand before God and say, it's Christ alone. That's all I have to give. And my response to the work of Christ has been these things. Paul talks about that uh, at the judgment, some of our works will be like uh, rich jewels and some of our work will be like wood, hay and straw and these things will burn up. These things will last. And so my prayer is that as we love one another well, we will see that that is the work that lasts, but that's not the work that gets us in to heaven. And it's the same thing that Paul's really been saying in the whole letter, right? That our works are not to earn something, that they're actually in response to the finished work of Christ. So those good works that flow from a transformed life do please God. And that's why he calls for us to be holy, to be faithful, to be kind, to bear the fruit of the Spirit they do not justify us. Therefore, you and I must make it our aim to love one another well. Because we have been called to live out the Christian life in a way that is saturated with love. Not so that we might achieve or earn something, but because God has already given us his grace. Well, as Paul continues his conclusion, he moves from the idea of love to the idea of Farming. Uh, Or maybe if you think of a modern way to understand this next part, you could say investing. Um, So the second concluding point, if you're taking notes, the the first point was to love one another. The second point is this, sow the right seed. Sow the right seed. Paul begins in verse 6 here. We're going to see in verses 6 through 10. He says, Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Paul begins this section by by telling the church that they should support their teachers. Those who give their lives over to shepherding the congregation should be taken care of by the congregation. This is a kind of bearing one another's burdens. So this is almost like a transition verse from the first point to the second. And I'm really thankful, students. I mean, between you and your families and the families of Lakeview, I am thankful that we are a part of a congregation that believes this verse. We lack for nothing. Uh, We are taken care of well. And so we can be grateful for that. And it frees us up to devote our whole lives to the sake of this congregation. Now, look at verse 7. Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So, what you sow, what you put in the ground, is what you reap. That is what you will receive. So, the point of this verse is that God will have the last word. Those who live their lives in unrepentant sin and don't have any care for the things of God, any care for the church of Christ, any care for the great commission or the, the good news of the gospel, those who live their lives in that way, but are somehow just hanging on to their hope of salvation because they prayed a prayer when they were nine. And so they somehow think that they've, they've outsmarted God and they've, they've backed God into a corner that he has to be faithful to that promise. They're mocking God. They're mocking him. Because what they're saying is, you owe me salvation and I'm going to live however I want, but you have to do what I want to do. You have to do what I want you to do. They're mocking God with their lives. They think they've outsmarted the one who knows everything. But God will not be mocked. Those who sow to their own flesh, Paul says, will reap corruption or destruction. They will be judged. That's verse eight. Look at it with me. He says, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But keep reading. Look, it says, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now this verse is just a rephrasing of much of what we talked about last week. That there's two ways to live. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you will be left with destruction and nothing. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will receive eternal life. So how will you live? Are you banking on a prayer that you prayed, but you have no context or no care for that that prayer or that confession and how you live? If I looked at your life and the way that you live, does that match up with the confession that you made when you put your faith in Jesus? Because if the answer is no, you have an opportunity to repent. That's the mark of the Christian life. The mark of the Christian life is not being awesome. The mark of the Christian life is being repentant. Students, God will not be mocked. Our lives tell a story about what we believe about God. And he sees all of it. He sees your whole life. He knows everything about you. And we will give an account to him for all of it. So instead of sowing in the flesh, going after temporal, unnecessary, wicked, useless, or vain things, students, let's sow in the spirit. Let's take the gift of grace that God has given us and put our effort and our passion and our gifts and our work in things that will spring up into eternal life. And notice what Paul is not saying and what I'm not saying is that everyone has to be a pastor or a missionary or a, or a pastor's wife or somehow connected to vocational ministerial work. No, what I mean is take the gifts and the talents, and the passions that God has given you for for sports, or for games, or for family, or for a hobby, whatever it is that you love to do. And leverage those things for his glory and for your own holiness. That's sowing to the Spirit. The fact is, this kind of living will not be easy. As we'll see later on, Paul bears the marks of persecution on his body. No, living a life that's constantly sowing in the Spirit will be difficult. Sowing in the flesh usually yields instant results, right? When we go after sin, there's usually a pretty immediate uh, hit of pleasure or hit of comfort or whatever it is that we're longing for, but it fades away. It's instant gratification, and then it's quickly gone. Instant pleasure. But sowing in the spirit is a more hidden work it's delayed gratification. And we can get a taste of eternal life with the fact that we now have victory over our sin or in the fact that we can truly love our neighbors rightly or when we receive the support of the church as the body of Christ. But it's still difficult. And as verse nine tells us, look at verse nine. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, you will, we will reap if we do not give up. The temptation for us is to grow weary and give up. The temptation for us is to say, I'm not seeing any results from this. I'm not feeling any different. I don't see any fruit in my life. Why do I keep doing this? And and the temptation is to quit. The temptation is to grow weary of doing good and to give up. And Paul is saying, don't quit. Don't stop. Keep going. We will reap in due season. It is coming. It is as sure as done. Continue to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes our faithfulness to Christ will bear fruit long after we're gone, and we may not see the fruit of our labors in this life. We won't know the ways that God uses us for his kingdom until we are with him in glory, but he is using us. He's using you. He's using me. So don't give up. Phil Riken tells a really good story that shows this example of of not growing weary of doing good and staying faithful, even though you don't see the fruit of it. Riken tells of a story from the colony of Virginia, way back uh, in revolutionary days. It concerns the conversion of a man named Luke Short at the ripe old age of 103. Short was sitting under a hedge when he happened to remember a sermon that he had once heard preached by the famous Puritan, John Flavel. Now, John Flavel died in 1691. So as Short recalled the sermon, he asked God right then and there to forgive his sins through Jesus Christ. Remember, he's 103 years old. Short lived for three more years. And when he died, this inscription was put on his tombstone. Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. But here's the remarkable part of the story. That sermon, that short remembered, had been preached by Flavel back in England 85 years before. Nearly a century had passed between the sermon and the conversion, between the sowing and the reaping. But a man reaps what he sows. And at the proper time, Flavel reaped his harvest. This is a reminder not to evaluate our ministry on the basis of immediate results. Students, keep sowing good seed. Keep sowing the seed of the Spirit. Sow in the Spirit as we are able, let's do good to everyone. And then look at Paul, look at verse 10. Paul says that we're to do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Well, that's just like the first point we talked about. We're called to love one another. And that, that was in the context of the body of Christ. But now it says we're supposed to do good to everyone. Well, oftentimes we're going to have primary responsibilities and secondary responsibilities. So here's what Paul is saying. You and I as Christians are to bear the fruit of the spirit, which includes goodness to everyone. But we have a primary responsibility to those within our family of faith that we cannot... Be good to the neglect of the family of God. That's our primary responsibility. So we're to love one another and we're to sow the right seed. Now, as Paul wraps up Galatians, he's called for us to do a third thing. He concludes his letter with this charge in verses 11 through 18, which will be our last point. And that's this boast in the cross, boast in the cross. Look at verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now that may be a little confusing for us to think, okay, was Paul not writing the first five and a half chapters of Galatians? And the answer is he probably wasn't writing them. He was probably saying them. So oftentimes uh, uh, scribes would be used in this time of uh, history to write down letters that the people writing them would speak, that they would dictate. And so For the first five and a half chapters, Paul is probably speaking this letter out loud and a scribe is writing them down. But for this part, the very end, Paul takes the pen in his own hand to emphasize what comes next. He says in verse 12 that the false teachers that the Galatian churches have been dealing with have avoided the persecution that comes from boasting in the cross. He basically calls them cowards. He says the reason why they're bothering you with all of this false teaching about circumcision and becoming a Jew before you can become a Christian is because they don't want to deal with the persecution that comes from the cross. In other words, they are sowing in the flesh. They're putting their their hope in their works. He continues, look at verse 13. He says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So what is he saying? He's saying that these false teachers, they don't even obey their own commands. They're telling you to follow the law, but they don't even follow the law. They're they're telling you, you have to keep the law. They don't keep the law. These false teachers are not able to obey their own teachings, but they want to convince others to follow these false teachings. They want the churches in Galatia to submit to circumcision so that they can boast in their teachings. The point is this, just because someone has a following, right? Because these false teachers were being heard and listened to and the Galatian churches were, were following after them up to the point of this letter being written. Just because someone has a following doesn't mean they're going in the right direction. And so you and I, especially when it comes to those who would lead us spiritually, we have to be discerning. And one of the questions we can ask to diagnose whether or not this person is worthy of following is what are they boasting in? What things do they emphasize and and promote as a, a point of pride? Paul models for us what we need to look for. When it comes to spiritual leaders, we need to find those who boast in the cross, who celebrate what God has done, not what they have done. Paul glories or boasts in exactly what the false teachers were trying to avoid. So they were avoiding the persecution of the cross. Paul is boasting in the cross. And look at what this leads to in verse 14. He says, "'Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As Paul puts his hope in the cross of Christ, the world and the things of this world no longer have power over Paul. He's not, as we read a couple of chapters ago, he's not enslaved to the elementary principles of this world anymore. Not only that, So not only was the world crucified to him, he's crucified to the world. He's no longer as tempted to run after the false promises the world brings to him. Why? Because by boasting in the cross, he's confessing that he's a citizen of a new creation. He's not a part of the old world anymore. He's a part of something new. As Timothy George tells us, the new creation involves the whole process of conversion the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit leading to repentance and faith, the daily process of mortification and vivification, continual growth in holiness leading to an eventual conformity to the image of Christ. The new creation implies a new nature with a new system of desires and affections and habits all wrought through the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That's what it means to be a part of a new creation. You have new desires, new, new affections. Remember what we said, the main point that the gospel should change and transform our whole lives for the rest of our life. So what is your boast in? What do you glory in? What do you take pride in? What is your obsession? Is it Christ and his cross? Is it something else? Students, what if you made this commitment? to the Lord and this challenge to yourself that this year your aim would be to make Christ and his gospel your greatest treasure. What if you made that your goal as this, as this new school year starts this this new opportunity this new season of life. What if you said my goal is to make Christ and his gospel, God and the good news of what he's done. That is going to be the most important thing to me. That's going to be my treasure. Do you think your life would change? I think it would. Do you think your life would be harder? I know it would. Do you think your life would be better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you will reap a reward if you do not give up. And Paul brings us back to the issue of circumcision. and We see it again in verse 15. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Well, this is weird, isn't it? Because this whole letter seems to have been about the idea of circumcision. And now he's saying, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) So so what's he saying here? He's saying that as long as it is just a social thing, as as long as it doesn't relate to your salvation, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter whether who you identify with ethnically. That's not the point. The point is, Are you a part of the old creation or the new creation? You and I as believers are living as new creatures, right? The old has passed away, the new has come, and we're living in two different ages, the old and the new. The new is already here, but it's not here in its fullness, right? Jesus hasn't returned and made all things right. But living in between these times gives new meaning and importance to all that we do. So so listen to Tom Schreiner. It's a quote worth repeating. He says, The teaching on the new creation shows us that our work in this world is significant. The created world is not a necessary evil. It is the good and beautiful work of God. And therefore, our work in this world has significance. Every painting every building, every meal made, every work of landscaping. They all image the work of our creator and must not be dismissed as insignificant. The current world order is passing away. Ecclesiastes reminds us that there is a futility in our work in this world. So there is both continuity and discontinuity with the world to come. And hence, we must not think that our labor in this world will ever bring in the new heaven and new earth, Any utopian scheme is destined to fail before the arrival of the new creation. So we must beware the siren song of human perfectibility, which sings the chorus that we can enjoy paradise during the present evil age. As believers, we are to be optimistic, but realistic, full of faith and hope without denying the curse that still rests on the present world. In other words, what Schreiner is saying is that your life and your work, they matter. Your work matters. Your hobbies matter. Your passions matter. The things that you create, they all matter. And we should strive to make our world better. There are so many amazing God-honoring things that Christians do all throughout the world that make the world a better place. But we know and we must remember that the ultimate curse of sin in creation will not be lifted by a political ideology or a celebrity philanthropist or a social agenda or a military campaign or entertainment or a philosophical fad. No, our hope is not in any of those things. The only thing that will lift the curse of sin in this world is Christ the King. When he comes, he will lift the curse. So we boast not in those things. Our boast is in the cross. We live for Christ and we hope to receive peace and mercy from God, just as verse 16 tells us. But notice, it's not just agreeing that Christ is our savior, that he's the king. It's not just agreeing that the cross is the way that we are saved. No, look at verse 16. Paul says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. All those who walk by this rule. It's not just agreeing that it's true, but it's, it's walking it out. Our faith is not merely a faith of the intellect. It's not just agreeing in your mind that something's true. No, it's a lived out faith. That it transforms our hearts. It changes what we do with our hands. And Paul sweetly reminds those Galatian believers that as they walk, as it's hard, as they grow weary and and think of giving up, that they really are the people of God. Look at verse 16. He calls the churches in Galatia the Israel of God. He calls the church Israel, his chosen people. Remember, that's one of the big points of Galatians 3 and 4, that the church of Jesus Christ, by faith, really are the true sons of Abraham. They really are the sons of the free woman. Well, Paul is not afraid to speak these kinds of truths. He tells us that in verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. His body had been beaten for his commitment to the cross of Christ. And we can look to him as a model of boldness and faithfulness because we may not bear marks on our body, but it will be difficult in our culture, in your context as a student, Standing firm and faithful to Christ in the midst of a a culture that wants nothing to do with him, that will come with a cost. So as we look to the new school year, I pray that you and I will follow Paul as he follows Christ. That we would love one another, sow the right seed, and boast in the cross. And I agree with Paul when he writes in verse 18, the last verse, He prays that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. We are all in desperate need of the grace of Jesus. That's been the whole point of this letter, that you and I will stand before God one day unable to come up with the means to to cancel our debt. We're gonna be unable to have an excuse for the sins we've committed, but we will be able by God's grace to show Christ and his work on our behalf that we really are justified by faith alone and now called to walk and bear the fruit of the spirit remember Christ is not just the Lord look at verse 18 again the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ he's your Lord he's with you let's pray God in heaven, we pray now that you would make us aware of your presence, that we would know that you are with us, that in the midst of difficult times and confusing circumstances, you are not confused, you are not exhausted. These things do not tire you you are omnipotent, you have all the power and you know all things and you are close by your people. You are near to us and you are good. And so Lord, I pray that as we finish this study of Paul's letter to the Galatians, that you would remind us that we stand before you in Christ completely justified, that you have clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. That the Spirit of Christ now dwells within us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God, you've chosen us from before the foundations of the world, that our names were written in your book. So, Father, Son, Spirit, you are with us. You love us. You care for us. Your stance towards us is not anger or frustration or annoyance, even in the midst of our sin. No, your stance towards us is mercy and compassion. And so God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with boldness and peace as we prepare to go out into a a new school year full of unknowns, but confident in the one who knows everything. So Father, protect us. Use us for your glory. Keep us faithful to your word. And let the cross of Christ be our boast. Help us to cultivate the fruit of the spirit. We pray that you would help us to love one another well. To bear one another's burdens. To restore those who are caught in sin among us. We pray that you would sanctify your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.